Thanks, team. Wonderful. I was uh, just last weekend, uh, last Sunday morning, uh, if you were here, I just wanted to... Talked about, you know, sometimes we love the product of life. Sometimes we don't like the product of life. You ever had something go in your life that you just don't like? That is, I just don't want that in my life. We all have had things like that. I just don't want that attitude. I just don't want, I want my marriage to be better. I want my workplace to be a lot more peaceful. I just, there's things that turn up in our life and we just say, I want something to change. I just want it to change. And, and we identified that last week, you know, like the prodigal son, it wasn't because in life we have a pattern of lifestyle and then we, out of the pattern comes a product or an answer or, or the things that happen. And the result of the patterns of our life, there comes these things that, uh, that either we enjoy or we don't enjoy. And so often we look at the product of our life, the, the things that we enjoy or don't enjoy, or the things particularly we don't enjoy, and say, Joe, I wish that would change. And you can stare at the product all you like, but it's not the product that needs to change, it's the what? It's the pattern that needs to change in your life, isn't it? Because you can't, the problem is not the product, it's the pattern. You can't have a different product if you don't change the pattern. That's what we kind of talked about, you know, last Sunday. And it was particularly relevant in looking at the prodigal son or the younger son or the lost son and, um, and how he lived his life and how he had established some really bad patterns and it produced bad product. And he, he, he kept on wanting to change the product, but he needed to change the pattern. Thankfully, he did. went back to his dad, and he humbled himself, and life got so much better. And, and you know, this morning, one of the patterns of lifestyle that I think we continually need to be, I think, a part, some portion of the day or some time in our talking to God each day or, or, or just um, whatever it may be, it may be the, in that, within that week, is that we need to establish and we need to continually be remindful of the incredible mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. I think that's a pattern that we need to plant in our life. Because, you know, when you're continually aware of what Jesus has done for you, you could, it, it has a couple outcomes and results. And one of them is that you can walk humbly because you realize whatever you have today is not just your doing, but you honestly can say it's God in me that helps me to live and to fulfill and have success and see the results because if we live proud we're going to live lonely and we're going to sometimes live isolated but to live humbly is to live with incredible joy and peace and incredible um, um, you know just uh, fulfillment in life to humbly walk before our God it says in Micah what does the Lord require that we walk humbly with our God Humbly with our God. And there's a pattern that we need to establish of, of just remembering that I didn't get here on my own. You know, there, one day someone was walking along and they found a little turtle and he was sitting on the top of a, of a fence post and, and his little legs were moving and everything was moving but he couldn't go anywhere. Do you know, he, we know for a fact he didn't get there on his own. And it's a bit like us. You know, God puts us in places and we've got to acknowledge that, you know, we don't get there on our own. It's God. And, and you know, one of the wonderful things that we need to do um, every day, I think, is just acknowledge what Jesus has done for us. And the, we sang a song this morning about the realities of his mercy and his forgiveness. Do, do you, have you ever taken a moment just to consider how, what you've been forgiven of? 
And not to, not to condemn yourself. It's not about condemnation, but it's about it's remember what you've, to be thankful what you've been forgiven of so you can be thankful to a God who got you there and has forgiven you. It's not for condemnation. It's for um, sometimes conviction, <laughs> but to remember and to realize the incredible gift of salvation that Jesus has given us. Some of us have been too long in the faith and we forget that, that we are saved today again. Are you still excited about that, that reality? <laughs> today, if I was to go to heaven, I'd be sorry, if I was to drop dead, I'd go to heaven. I think that's an exciting future. I'm not planning on it, but, you know, to remember the reality of the, the fact of what Jesus... And you know one of the ways that we do that in the life of our church, in the life of many churches, is we have communion. You don't just have to have communion here. You can have it every day if you want it. Did you know that? But to have communion... In, in, and sometimes I, th I think we've taken... We've got to not just um, take this communion table and, 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 and just kind of... Um, how could we say, boil it down, I'll use that terminology, boil it down to it's just another historical fact. Another thing that we do, folks, there's a power in communion, with, in what we call communion. Some churches call it other things. The Lord called it the supper, the last supper. Well, Scripture calls it the last supper, doesn't it? Um, but it was real. Uh, the Old Testament called it the Passover. Uh, but we just call it communion, that'll do. But it's really, it's not in the name, it's what it happens when we come and remember and we're thankful for what Jesus has done for us. So I wanted to read Paul's account this morning of what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, just in a few verses, Paul talks about what Jesus done for him. He's talking to a church at Corinth. Just for a little bit of um, context of this passage, you, you've got to realize the Corinthian church and, uh, came out of a, a lot of people became Christians out of a pretty rough background in Corinth. I mean, remember Corinth was this city that had, a, had a, a, a temple on the hill in Corinth that was dedicated to prostitution, male and female prostitution, um, homosexuality, lesbian, everything was happening. And, and so people would go up there and, and you know, engage and indulge themselves. It was, a, it was a city that had some problems, but praise God, the message of Jesus came to that city. Many came to Christ. They formed a church, uh, the Corinthian church, but it still had some problems going on. Who knows that the church is not a pleasure cruiser, it's a hospital ship, eh? Because we've all got those things that we're still working on. We've, you know. And so Paul speaks into this, and what was happening is they were having communion together, and some people would come to the communion table. Just wait a sec. <coughs> ah, I've just had a scratchy throat through the last week, so... <clears throat> you know when you get that tickle in your throat? It's right there. Uh, <clears throat> I'll just lower my voice to a lower tone and not get so, so emotionally excited. I'll just be a little bit more drab for a moment. But the Corinthian church, um, of course, all these people had come from different backgrounds. And, uh, and as they joined together, they... they Come and celebrate what Jesus had done through them, his death and resurrection. But what was happening was, is you'd finding that they were in disagreement with each other. Some were actually coming hungry and treating it as a meal. You know, you're not going to get much of a meal this morning. 
But they'd have a meal and, and then people would kind of just, oh, you know, we'll be right, we'll come to church, have the meal. And they, and they were disregarding the importance of, what, of communion. And, and, and it, was, it was nothing more than just food for their stomach. And, and Paul was trying to address that. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but if you read the whole chapter, you'll see that clearly. clearly. And, and some of them were, were, were um, in disagreement with each other and they were angry with each other. And there was all issues happening. And Paul tries to address that. And I wanted to read the main body of the chapter just to you this morning, starting in chapter 23. <clears throat> Is that okay? So from the New International Version. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is Paul speaking. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of who? Me. That in actual fact, those words are in red. So that's what Jesus actually said. Paul actually quoted Jesus. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way, after supper, that he, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant or the new uh, contract or the new promise. Contract's a great word. We take a contract out on a property, don't we, to buy it. And... Um, you know, and, and we've got a you know, uh, subject to contract whether we can purchase this. In other words, it's a legal document that you've signed on the bottom with your, your handwriting and your signature. Jesus signed the contract of the relationship between me and you. He wanted to have this relationship and he signed it in his blood. Okay. This is the new covenant or contract in my blood. Uh, do this, whatever you drink it, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, Paul is addressing the Corinth church here. He says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Come on, guys. Stop your arguing and your attitudes. And you know, For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of the Christ, in other words, thinking about what Christ done for them, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Falling asleep is talking about death. In other words, getting sick and dying. And then verse 31 will finish. But if we are more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. In other words, judge yourself. Take a moment to consider before you have communion some things. And we'll talk about that. But if we go to the very first verse I read in verse 23, we see Paul says this. I've received from the Lord, which I also passed on to you. You've got to consider the timeline here. Paul is, wasn't one of the disciples that was in the upper room that, or on, that two, on the second floor of that house having the last supper with his disciples. Paul is not a, was not an original disciple of Jesus, okay? He wasn't there as one of the 12. In actual fact, he never met Jesus, as far as biblically we know, except one moment he had on the way to a city called Damascus, of course. Uh, so Paul was not an eyewitness account of the first communion, so to speak, that we would call it. He wasn't, he wasn't there. So what's he saying here? He says, I received from the Lord, which I also passed on. What did he receive from the Lord? I want to tell you and how he received it. See, you would know maybe a lot of you that Saul, Paul was Saul before he became a Christian and a follower of Jesus. He was a man who was of religious uh, renown and religious authority, but he had a heart to kill Christians and not save Christians. 
He hated this cult that he would probably have called it. He saw it as a, as a, a threat to the Pharisaic way of life. And so he went about killing. He was the hitman, the terrorist of the, you know, of the, the first hundred years of this world. Oh, sorry, after Christ, anyway, BC. He was the, he was the hitman. And so, you know, he is now, it's probably around about uh, 40, um, 40 AD, and he's on his way, uh, Saul is, on his way to Damascus to, to, um, uh, to imprison some Christians, because he's heard there's a little bunch of Christians in Damascus having some services. And so he's on his way, and there's a blinding light that literally blinds him for three days. He can't see anything for three days. And out of the light, it's Jesus, and Jesus speaks, why do you persecute me, Saul? And Saul is, he, he is, doesn't know what to do, and he responds knowing that this is God speaking to him, this is Jesus speaking to him, and he says, what do you want me to do? And, he, and Jesus says, go to the city of Damascus, and I'll tell you. He, goes, he is led to the city of Damascus um, by the other guys because he's blinded. And Ananias comes along and lays hands on him, and he's healed of his blindness. He receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaks in gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaks in tongues. And from that moment, he, his heart was completely changed from wanting to kill Christians. He went to a city to imprison Christians in the same city. He became one of them. So we see this man now, years later, writing to the Corinthian church. He says... The best thing I can tell you about what happened to me, he says, I've received from the Lord. What did he receive, folks? Paul had this incredible encounter with Jesus. He had this incredible understanding and revelation and, 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 uh, of the fact that he was an incredible, the worst of the worst of sinners, and yet Jesus still came and met him on the path of his life and changed his heart. He, still had, he, he said, I want to tell you what happened to me. And the best way for me to describe it is not to talk about me, but to talk about what Jesus done for me. And this death and his resurrection and how he shed his blood and his body was broken. And Paul says, you know what? I, what he's done for me is nothing but amazing and incredible miracle. If he can turn my heart around. And he says, the best way for me to explain that is that the body of Christ was broken um, and his blood was shed so I may be forgiven and I have a future because I've been forgiven of much. Have you ever taken a moment to consider how much you've been forgiven? Have you ever taken that moment to consider the fact that where you could be if it wasn't for Jesus' intervention through his death and resurrection? Hey, have you ever taken a moment where you could be? I have, and I think I could be in such a bad place right now. But for the mercy of God reaching out to me. I love the mercy of God. Do you know that, you'll, that it's incredible, the mercy of God? His mercies are new every morning. Not every year, like the Old Testament. You know, they'd bring, they'd bring the, um, the, 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 once a year, the priest would, you know, um, make a sacrifice for you to be forgiven of your sin. No, every morning now, that's every 24 hours. I think God knew that we're, uh, we're capable of doing things wrong every 24 hours and we need his mercy every day. Aren't you glad that it says, you know, he's, he's going to strike you down every 24 hours if you don't clear your debt of sin and ask for forgiveness? I'm so gracious, glad for his mercy and grace. <laughs> so glad. I tell you what, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the foundation of the joy of your salvation. 
if there's something to get excited about, that's something to get excited about. You know, sometimes you can determine, you know, you can determine where your own heart is about how excited you're. You know, the guys up here this morning getting excited about praising God. I tell you, it's worth getting excited when you come back to that first understanding and that first love again, again of what Jesus has done for you. Why wouldn't you jump in the air and wave your arms and get excited what Jesus Christ has done? Amen. It's better than gold lotto, folks. Winning gold lotto, I tell you. And Paul says, I received, now I deliver to you. What did he deliver? He delivered the reality of his personal revelation of what Jesus has done for him. He says, this is amazing, and it's through the blood and the body of Jesus. Peter had something to say about it too. Peter was a good friend of Paul. They were in the same prison, not at the same time, but at different times. I believe in the same prison in Rome at one stage, not at the same time. I, I've already shared with you in July, I had the, the opportunity to see what they believed was that prison where Paul and Peter were in prison. But Peter says this in 1 Peter 18, 19, NIV. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Isn't that true? Um, You know, before I came to Christ, I just followed what other people did. I didn't know any better. But Jesus showed me a new way of life. It was handed down to me. I didn't... Now God's given me a new way. Verse 19, but with the... but with the, sorry, I'll read it again. For you know there was not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish of no, or defect. The precious blood of Christ. We don't like to talk about the blood too often, but the blood is, a, you know what I want us to name this sermon? Bloodthirsty. That'll make you remember the sermon. Just change the name. Is that okay, Dorothy? Bloodthirsty. You may say, oh, when you say that, you might refer to that terminology of something who's someone who just wants to punch other people up or whatever. I don't know. Vampire, fictional stuff that's not true. Whatever it is. But I want to say we need to be bloodthirsty. In other words, we need to realize the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. If it wasn't for the blood that dripped from his body on the cross and onto the ground that faithful day on Calvary, folks, we wouldn't have salvation or freedom or hope or joy. We wouldn't have it. We wouldn't have it. So let's put a new definition of what bloodthirsty means. I'm thirsty for the love and the goodness and the presence of Jesus because of what he did at Calvary. If you lose 40% of your blood, you're dead. It's pretty valuable. The blood transfers oxygen through your body. It also takes away waste product from your body. It, it also is like a uh, hydraulic, uh, helps your hydraulics to move and to function properly. It's incredible. It, you know, it, it, blood is so vitally important for your being and for your, uh, uh, you know, your, your life. And as Jesus hung on the cross, as his blood drained from his body, it took life from him. I tell you what, it added life to us. His blood was drained. His life was lost. And at that moment when he died, life was added to us because of his life that was lost. It was all because the blood was drained. We have a future and hope. I love that. So Peter says, you know, it's nothing more than the precious. Peter says it's a precious blood of Christ. It's precious. Peter said it's important. Why would Peter say that? Because he knew how incredibly important what Jesus done for the blood of Christ on the cross when he drained from his body. How important. Then he says, he says, you know what? We were redeemed from the empty way of life. We were redeemed. What a word, redeemed. 
And you say, what's redeemed? Well, you can, there's several definitions, all very similar. But I love this one. It means to clear the debt. To clear the debt. Um, you know, you've ever, have you ever finally paid your house off? Paid your mortgage off? Cleared the debt? You've ever had a credit card from last Christmas you're still trying to clear the debt from? You've got to clear it before the next Christmas. Um, but, you know, it's a wonderful day when you can just clear the debt. But, you know, what, what Peter says here is that we have been, uh, our debt has been cleared. And we didn't have to do anything for it except accept him as our Lord and Saviour. A debt has been cleared. Isn't that wonderful? Redemption has come. The debt has been, the price has been paid. Um, and Paul had plenty of debt. He had plenty of debt in his life. He wanted to murder people like you and me, and he became one of you and me. But he didn't like us at the start. Uh, I, was, uh, I, I, I was reading, as I do like to read, I love these stories of redemption. There was a, a young man called Mike Anderson, 2003. Mike Anderson walked into a Burger King store in America in a state, it might have been California, walked into the Burger King at gunpoint. He held up the, uh, up the whole establishment and took the money and uh, tried to get away with it. They, police caught up with him and, um, and uh, he was before a court and they, and they um, gave him 13 years of, of jail time, said, you're going to serve 13 years. Um, Mike uh, received, he, he posted bail. They allowed him to post bail. And so he was able to go home just for a, um, a day or two. And they said, go home and we will tell you, don't leave this country. We know where you are. Uh, we will tell you the next move of how, we, how you, the proceedings will handle and how you'll enter jail. Mike waited a week. No one came. He waited a month. No one came. He waited a year. No one came. And in the time that he was free still, knowing that his time would come where he'd have to go to jail for 13 years, thankfully Mike decided that he would turn his life around so he didn't use his freedom to commit any more crimes. Um, what happened was he started in the time. He thought, I'll just keep busy. I'll wait for them to come and get me, but I'll just keep busy. He started a construction business. He became a young um, the local school football coach. He then became a Christian and he's in a real dilemma because he's supposed to be in jail. He's not in jail, but he came to Jesus. He started to volunteer in his local church. He even got married. He had four children. And uh, he was well-liked in the community and actually really loved in the community. He really did turn his life around. And 13 years later, he got the call, you're going to jail. <laughs> they put him in jail. And... He acknowledged, because he understood that he needed to redeem, he, sorry, he needed to serve out his punishment for his crime. He reluctantly went, but he went to jail. He was very sad. He had to leave his wife and children and his career behind, but he went to jail. But the case received international recognition, and 35,000 signatures on a petition later, he, he got 10 months after being in jail, he came out of jail, went to court, and the court spent 10 minutes deciphering his future and said, Mike Anderson, you are a changed man. You are free. Do you think that was a good day? That was a good day. I love that story. But not only that, 
As he walked out of the courtroom, a free man with his children and his wife, and the reporters came to him, and he shared about the goodness and the mercy of God. He went on international television, and I saw the interview, and in there for a full 30 seconds to a minute, he shares on national American television in a very realistic and wonderful, beautiful way how God has changed his life and how it's the grace of God that he could be forgiven of what he'd done. Not only that, the Burger King man that he violated and held up his store said, I'm glad that Mike Anderson's out of jail. He is definitely a changed man, and I hate to see a man like that left in jail. And he was forgiven by the, by the person he perpetrated and the, the person he, uh, he, he committed the crime against. And not only that, he realized that God had forgiven him as well. And then he could forgive himself for all the stinking things he'd done. I tell you what, he said, you know, jail, I was a free man, but when Jesus, I was totally free. I was really free. I could be in jail and know Jesus and free, but you know. So what a wonderful, that my folks is redemption. When someone clears the debt on your behalf and you don't have to pay it. I want to tell you that's what Jesus has done for you. He's cleared the debt. I tell you, that's a good day. Did you never pay for your sins? Now, let's be honest, there'll be some consequences you cut the body and put some stitches in, you'll have a scar, but it doesn't have to annoy you. You are cleared of your debt. I love life, and I love what God has done for us. That may be the things of consequences we face. It doesn't, you know what? I find that my God does a wonderful character development through those consequences and helps me just to love him more if I submit myself. And he often paves the way so much easier than it, and than it could have been without him through the consequences of my sin. So can we just for a moment uh, look at this communion. I know I've taken a little time just to lead up to this point, but 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what we read, you know, I just see three things it says there. And the first thing it says is we need to, when we come to communion this morning, we need to take a moment to look back. Because it says in verse 23, Paul says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. So what Paul is directing us to is saying on the night, way back then when Jesus was betrayed, about 33, 34 AD, or whenever exact year it was, on the night he was betrayed. In other words, historically, Jesus was betrayed. On that same night, he took bread and he broke it. Um, see, the bread reminds us of Christ's body given us. The cup reminds us of his shed blood. It's a remarkable thing that Jesus wants us to remember his death. It's not the type, it's not the type of dinner conversation you have with each other. Oh, you know, Granny, how she died. We don't talk about death, do we? We don't want to remember sometimes how our relatives have passed away. But Jesus is our saviour and he does want us to remember his death. Because death is central to what you believe today. His death. His death. I don't like remembering how my dad passed away. But I do, do remember his response to, to the Lord when I talked to him about it. That was, a, that was a positive moment for sure. But, you know, death is not that exciting. But Jesus said, would you remember my death? Because it's important. It's central to the very core of the, of the good news of Jesus and what I've done. So remember he died because it's part of the good news of Jesus. Uh, he died and he was buried. Um, do you realize it's not the life of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus that actually uh, will save people from their sin? It will direct them to Jesus, all the lives and the teachings of the Word of God. But it's the death and the resurrection of Jesus that actually um, makes people born-again believers, isn't it? 
What did Jesus say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said, you must be born again. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. It isn't. Sometimes it's all the teachings that we have in Scripture are wonderful teachings. But the central core theme of the message of the good news of Jesus has to be the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the thing that we've got to understand that brings life to us. So we remember his death. We remember why he died. He died for our sins. He was our substitute. He paid the debt. You know that all the words, I don't have to tell you. We should also remember how he died. Jesus died willingly. He died humbly. Um, he gave his body into the hands of wicked men, and he bore in his body the sins of the world. How remarkable is that, um, that he gave willingly? We need to remember that. Remember, it's not simply, see, remembering is not recalling just of history. We're going to be careful that we just don't think this communion table is just like we're walking around a monument today. Just a history lesson on what happened in the past. No, it's more than that. You know, I remember in, in July of this year, I went to Athens. And there in the middle of the city of Athens is this incredible temple called the Acropolis. It's the biggest in the world. It's amazing. And probably about 60% of it's still left there. The other 40% crumbled or destroyed through earthquakes and Second World Wars and things like that. And so Michelle and I and Lydia, we walked around it along with about 4,000 other people. <sighs> In the heat, I remember. <laughs> and, you know, it was amazing. It was amazing. But, you know, I thought, that's nice. But, you know, it was just an historical site. The thing that excited me is about 300 meters from there, and I might have mentioned it, but there was a thing called Mars Hill. Do you know where Mars Hill is recorded in Scripture? Acts 17. You can read about it. It doesn't say Mars Hill in Acts 17. It talks about another hill. But it's Mars Hill. And it's interesting because right on that little hill, which is totally granite, that's why it's still there. It's about the size, it's about three quarters of the top of it, it's three quarters of the size of this internal room, this auditorium here. And it's only like 30 meters you could just, to get to the top of it. And you kind of, I joined the 150 other people on top. And all the tourists who were there. And, uh, and it's only 300 meters from the Acropolis. It's like, and Paul, Paul said this. He says in Acts 17, verse 23 and 24, Paul says, you know, I found this altar to the unknown God. I want you to know who this unknown God is that you worship. He's the God who doesn't live in temples made by human hands. He's actually the creator of heaven and earth. And I can imagine Paul standing on the Mars Hill where I stood in July of this year. And that was a pinnacle. That was a wonderful moment. And Paul would have been saying, and he's not made by you know, the hands of man. And he doesn't live in temples made by the hands of man. And he would have went like exhibit A, Acropolis, the biggest temple in the world just there. You can imagine Paul doing that. Um, and so for me, it wasn't just a tourist attraction. It was a moment in time where I could stand where Paul had stood and preached. And there was a man, it says in Acts 17, who was a high, uh, um, he was a high uh, reigning official at the time in, in, in Athens in Greece. And his name was Dononius. And Dononius came to Jesus through Paul's preaching. He brought his family to Jesus. They got baptized not long after. And he started the first Christian church in Athens. And you can go and see the church where he started. But the truth is they've built a new church and they destroyed the old one that he had way back in, the, in you know, AD 50 or whatever it was. But they built this other big elaborate building. 
you know, with all the stained glass windows and everything. But his church was there, and he started the first Christian church. Now, why do I say all that in relation to communion? Because for me, it wasn't walking around a monument that got me excited. It was standing in the the footsteps of a man who preached Jesus about just under 2,000 years ago who proclaimed the blood of Christ. And I thought, that's exciting. This is not, and this is what communion needs to be. Not just a historical record, folks, but a reality right now today of what Jesus has done. Because who knows, Jesus is still alive in the hearts of his believers. And it's by faith this morning we come and we take and we remember, not by some historical. And if communion for you today has just become another historical thing you do, and oh, that was a nice thing, I want to say, would you don't do it until it becomes something of a revelation in your heart afresh. And you say, oh, that's a bit hard. No, folks, let it become real to you this morning. See what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's, a, it's not a historic, the Lord's table is not a historical record. It's a, it's a spiritual reality today as we remember what Christ has done for us. Savior, He's given it all. Here's the second thing, real quick. Not only do we need to look back, we need to look ahead. It says in verse 26, for whoever you, sorry, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He what? Comes. So part of communion is an opportunity sometime in there to say, thank you, Lord, that because of this communion I take today is a reality is that there is a better day coming. You know, heaven awaits us, but not even heaven, but even tomorrow and the day after and next week because it says that as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And we're going from changing from glory to glory. There's a better day and hope because of the blood of Christ and the body that was broken. There's a better hope. It says, you know, looking forward, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you know he's going to come back one day for his people and take them to be with him? And it says in scripture, we'll be like him. We won't be gods. We won't be Jesus. We'll be just like him. I'm looking for a day when I don't have to, you know, uh, have to have bad attitudes anymore. I'm looking for a day, you know, when, when all the body doesn't ache anymore. I'm looking, yes, that's going to be a good day, isn't it? When we'll be like him. I'm looking for a day when joy is the, is the strength of my life and, not, and I don't allow all these other things to invade my heart sometimes and get pulled down by them, but there's going to be a better day. So as we look at communion this morning, we can say, thank you, Lord. There's always a better day. Tomorrow is a new day. I can trust you tomorrow because I can be changed from glory to glory. So not only do we look back, not only do we look ahead, but we'll finish with this one. We look within. We've got to look within. See, in verses 27, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. What does that mean? Interesting. Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, remember? He was trying to deal with some of their issues, but the issues in the church of Corinth, I believe are issues that can happen in my heart and your heart today as well. What does it mean to take the Lord's uh, um, take communion unworthy? Does it mean that we are to be unworthy of such a sacrifice? Does it mean that those who do not have perfect lives should not participate? Uh, does it mean that if we can think of any way which we don't measure up, then we should not participate in this communion? The answer to all those questions is no. Just if you're wondering, <laughs> no. The answer is no, no, no. You. See, Paul did not say that we had to be worthy to partake of communion. He just said you need to partake in a worthy manner. None of us are worthy, folks. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But 
to partake in a worthy manner is to come to him and just say, God, here I am. I acknowledge the, the, the wrongs of my life. I acknowledge the, the stuff that I just need to sort out. And I humbly, in, and I'm not asking you to take the next 10 minutes when in communion and list all the things. No, no, just come to him and say, Father, I humbly, hello, Jeremiah. <laughs> he nearly made it. So, you know, when we, come to, when we come to Jesus, it's not trying to list all the things, but it's coming and saying, Father, a worthy manner is humbling ourselves before him and, and, and just being thankful and saying, Father, you know what? You know, I come before you because the Corinth church had to work some things through. And that's what Paul's saying. Some of you guys come in an unworthy manner. It's not because you're not worthy. Your worthiness is in Christ. Who knows that when God looks at us, when we come to Jesus and he looks at us through Jesus, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Isn't it wonderful? Did you know that you've got, I know, it's bad. I know. Yeah. I've done that to your daughter, to your mother as well. It's okay. It's okay, Athalia. Praise God we live in a church with children, hey, and families. Come on. We shouldn't have it any other way because if kids don't learn about God in church, where are they going to learn it? We're going to need to let them grow up in church, hey? Ah, I know. I'm feeling the pain. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, um, where were we up to, Michelle? What was I talking about? You're not listening? <laughs> yeah. Worthiness is not because... You know, it's the worthy manner that we present ourselves, and it's your heart attitude towards him this morning. If we come with a humble heart just to say, Father, I partake, knowing that I have blown it, but I thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness, I tell you, that's the manner he wants. And it's not to remember our sin and, and, and to be consciously condemning ourselves. No, it's to be consciously aware of his presence. It's to be sensitive to his presence. See, the Paul was making a warning. It's, not, it's to come to him and being sensitive, not numb of his great sacrifice, not just oh, whatever, not numb in our, our, our sensitivity and our emotions to the reality of what Jesus has done, but totally aware and thankful for what he's done for us. And that's the, the manner that he wants us to come and truly enter into the spirit of the communion. We'll have a heightened sense of our unworthiness, but of God's incredible grace. And we don't need to condemn ourselves. Now it's coming, realizing his incredible blessing on our lives. Verse 31 says, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. In other words, have a little moment where you just say, Father, I'm not perfect. But you know what? I'm not down about that. I just thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness of my sin. And you know what, God? I want to do better. And I ask for your strength to do that. And I thank you that the blood and the, and the body of Christ represents my salvation and redemption and the very power to be able to walk in victory even though I'm, I'm still working through my sin in my life and working through the issues and struggles. And I thank you for your help and hope, Lord. So Paul's saying, come on. Discern 
ourselves. Examine ourselves humbly. I love, uh, I love the realities of what, uh, of what Jesus, uh, what Paul said here to the Corinth church. Mm. Can I ask our musos to come this morning? I want to just finish with one thought. Actually, Kate, is that okay? Sorry, guys. Is that okay? Have you? Yeah. yeah. Let's relax, Joel. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. You're the only one worthy. <laughs> I don't know. The act of, you know, one thing I'm aware of communion is the act of taking communion is a very simple act. It's a very simple thing. What's it involve? It doesn't involve much. It involves picking up a little piece of grape juice and a biscuit here this morning and eating and drinking. It's not a, it's not a big, bold act. It's not, maybe some people would want the communion to be something incredibly more demanding than this, you know. We're going to do a 100-meter sprint under 10 seconds before we can eat communion. Oh, you know, it's not like that. It's not nothing you can do, is it? It's just a simple act. But it's a powerful act. And you might say, why is it powerful? Do you know at the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve were told, you can eat the very fruit of the tree, of any tree in the Garden of Eden, but not of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that one. Everything else is yours, but don't touch that one. We know the story. Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent. And, and you know what? They took a bite of the fruit. It was a simple act. It doesn't take much to pick up a fruit and just take a bite. It's a simple act, isn't it? But do you know the significance and the ramifications of one bite of the tree or the fruit of good and evil had ramifications for all of history, for you and me, for humanity. And, and it wasn't the act that they ate of the fruit, it was the disobedience. It was the, the fact that they had disobedience to God's command, don't eat of the fruit. And out of that simple act, all humanity was stained with a curse forevermore. One act brought a curse upon humanity. Do you realize as you take today and eat of the body of Christ, one act, one simple act of eating the body of Christ can restore life and health and blessing to your body? This has got no significance. It's just a biscuit. But it's by faith when we eat it that we can claim the promises of God. Come on. See, one act of eating destroyed humanity. One act of eating can restore humanity as we have faith in the living God. See, this morning, um, see, it says, Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. It's referring to Jesus. He didn't hang on a tree, but that's what they called the cross. See, he, and it says, cursed is every man. He took the curse for us. He took the curse of, of judgment. He took the curse of ill health. Praise God. He took the curse of, unf- of, of, um, of uh, condemnation. And, he, he, and through communion, we can, we can claim a number of things. It says, forget not all his benefits. What are his benefits? Healing. It says, through his stripes, you can be healed. Why not this morning as you take of communion and you've had your little time of just saying, Father, I humbly bow before you and I acknowledge I want to eat in a worthy manner and my heart is soft. I want to live for you and put away my sin. Why don't you then say, Father, I thank you as I take communion that your stripes are going to heal my body. I believe not this piece of biscuit, but by faith as I partake your healing power can flow in my body. Why couldn't you believe for that this morning? 
I just need the little fella to go back to his parents. Is that okay? Because everybody, you are much more handsome than I. <laughs> Thank you. Just at this moment, I just need your attention. Is that cool? I understand and appreciate the kids. So that, you know, as you partake this morning, that little, that that's faith act. Why can't we receive healing? As we also, as we also take of the cup this morning, you know, and, and drink of it, you know, the blood of Jesus. Why can't we claim that salvation is for us and our sins are totally forgiven? Why? Because that's what scripture says. It says he took the curse for us. He took the curse of what was wanted to be on your body and he gave us freedom and hope. I want us to be encouraged this morning. As we take, it's not just a historical fact. It's not just something, but it's a fact of faith. It's a fact of reality. It's a personal. Can we today have those who are taking up the emblems come and just distribute them, please? That'd be brilliant. That'd be great. For a moment, even before you receive communion this morning, why don't you just start to think and give a moment of, of contemplation and thankfulness to God. Start to think about the reality of what I can look back on, that on that night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. And then he took the cup and he, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this and drink in remembrance of me. This blood is the new promise and the new contract, the new promises I have for you. It's, it's, it's nothing old, it's new, it's fresh. The new hope, the new hope for your future. Why don't you contemplate that? And then as you look back saying thank you, let it become a reality today, Lord. And then you can look to the future and say thank you that I have a hope and a future about my life tomorrow and next week and also a heaven bound. Thank him for that. And then why don't you take a moment to look within and say, Father, I come not because I'm worthy, but because I don't want to drink in an unworthy manner. I just present myself and I ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. And I ask, Father, that you would just help me. Father God, um, to live, uh, Lord, forgiven at least. And I seek your mercy and I thank you for it. And I thank you for your grace. And I receive it today. And as we receive that, realize that now we can step into a better future. We can say, Father, I just thank you for your healing upon my body. As I partake of communion, by your stripes I'm healed. As I partake of communion, that curse that of all humanity because of the sin of Adam and Eve is not upon my life, but Jesus is upon your life and I'm free. Just as the song says. Just as the song says, I can be free, free. It took a bite to destroy humanity. It takes one bite of the broken body of Jesus to restore it through faith and belief in him. The bread and the cup always remain just a biscuit and a bit of grape juice. It's not, the, it's not the actual body of Jesus or the actual body, uh, blood of Christ. I don't believe that, but it is representation and it's by faith that we receive today. How about we all stand together? Is that cool? As we partake today, communion. Why don't we just take that moment, contemplate as you receive.
And we'll wait till everybody receives. And then we'll partake together because it's the body of Christ, isn't it? We're the body of Christ. We're the believers of Christ. We're the ones that stand together where we gathered here in, in this church. And then there's other churches that we're the part of the body of Christ as well. Other people in other churches where we stand together and partake. You can partake in your own home. You, can, you don't need a pastor or a priest or anybody, but you can, you can, together as a family, around your kitchen table, share communion. And you can claim the promises of God. And you can uplift the death and the resurrection of Jesus in your own time. And I encourage you to do that, but we certainly, as the body of Christ, do it together too. Thank you, Father. Let's just start to think and thank him today. Just take that moment. You talk to him today. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. No rush today. It's okay, we've got time. Thank you, Jesus. May you restore your first love in our hearts, Lord. It talks about in Revelations, our first love for you. Our first love for you. Holy Spirit, have you just move across your people, our hearts, that we would be just know a restoring power of your healing power to flow in bodies today. That not condemnation, but an understanding of wholeness and health. An understanding that we can be forgiven as we ask his mercy today. And that's freedom, not living in shame and guilt. Shame and guilt to go in the name of Jesus today. As we trust you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We're all good. Father, we thank you today for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for coming. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're present here today. But Jesus, as you hung upon a cross, you shed your blood. Your body was broken. You knew what was going to happen. You already predicted that in the supper. Just you know, within that 48 hours before you died on a cross. You told the disciples and you tell us today to remember your death, but to also remember your hope that comes with that. We thank you for that. We pray that you'd, Father, help us uh, to live in forgiveness of sins and to be continually keeping short accounts with you, God. Not condemning ourselves, but living in the freshness of the reality that we've got a hope and a future in you because of your mercy and grace. And you give us life today because of that. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you humbly bowed your heart before him. We humbly come before you today. And as you, the body was broken and the, shed, and as your blood was shed, I should say, and we take this little grape juice and we take this biscuit and we eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus and what he's done for us. And we remember the historical record, but remember the reality. We, we thank you for the future. We thank you for now what you're doing our lives. And by faith we eat and drink today in Jesus' name. Let's do that right now, church. Eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus.
Thank you. Thank you. Let's give him thanks. Hey, just while you stand there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, the team can come now if you want to. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Honor you. Yes, Lord, Jesus. Oh, done. Come 